Okay, so this episode has mature content. I don't recommend listening to this with young ears around or on some kind of speaker where others might hear it because this episode gets into some dark stuff. So listener discretion is advised. All right, so this episode is about a mobile app called Kik, spelled K-I-K. It was made in 2010 to help mobile users be able to chat with one another easier. See, back then, people who had BlackBerry phones had a hard time chatting with Android users and iPhone users. So some Canadian college kids made Kik to be able to let people chat freely no matter what type of phone you had. Kik was an immediate hit. Just one month after launching, they reported to have one million users, and it's been growing rapidly ever since. But something happened in the Kik chat app, which sent this app down a dark path. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. Support for this show comes from privacy.com. With Privacy, you link up your bank account, and they generate virtual cards for you to use with online shopping. This is great for when you don't trust a certain website, or really are concerned about them overbilling you. Privacy gives you great controls to limit how much money you can spend on your card. Like for instance, you can control your subscriptions or recurring payments. Make sure that you never get accidentally billed twice or upgraded to some service without your consent. You set a spending limit to what you know you should be paying for that service. So like if you know you have to pay it $10.99 a month, set a spending limit of $11 a month and you'll never be billed more than that. And you'll be notified if there is a charge. I love the control privacy gives me with these cards. To get started, head on over to privacy.com darknet. And hey, if you use this link, they'll give you $5 towards your next purchase. So go to privacy.com darknet. Support for this show comes from Veronis. Guess how many files the average employee can access on their first day of work? 17 million. And most of them, they never use. Those files are what these ransomware gangs steal and hold hostage because companies will pay to get that back. That's why ransomware is such a threat. The blast radius is huge, 17 million files? There's so much valuable data that's easy to get and they can make money from. Do you wonder what your company's ransomware blast radius is? Veronis does a free cyber resilience assessment and tells you how many important files a compromised user could steal and whether anything would beep if they did and a whole lot more. They actually do all the work, show you where the data is open to, if anyone is using it, and what you can do to lock it down before attackers get inside. They also can detect behavior that looks like ransomware and stop it automatically. You can even get a break on your cyber insurance. If you want to learn more, visit varonis.com dark. That's spelled V-A-R-O-N-I-S, varonis.com dark. This is the tale of two different kick users. First is a guy who we'll call Doctor. Some person, I don't remember their name, said that Kik was a, was a good app to meet people on and to join some communities. And I figured, well, why not? Might as well try it. And so I joined. Sounds innocent enough. Everyone can use new friends, right? So that's why Doctor joined Kick. And by the way, Doc is like 20-something years old, and I'm just disguising his voice a bit. 
Now, when you join Kick, you can do so anonymously. All the questions are soft, like it asks for your email, but you could just put anything in there because they don't email you any sort of registration confirmation link or anything. And it asks for your phone number, but you can skip that too. So yeah, when you get on Kick, you can be whoever you want without giving any details as to who you really are. The other guy we'll hear from we'll call Azrael. Everybody was telling me to make an account just to hang out and message them on there instead of whatever we were using at the time. I don't even remember. This is called the network effect, and it's powerful. The more people who join and want to chat with other people, the more they invite other people to join. So you're either on Kick or you're not. And if Kick is where all your friends are, you might as well get in there and be there with them. Now, these two people, Dr. and Azrael, have entirely different stories that take them down two different paths while using Kick. And we're going to weave in and out and back and forth between the two of them. It should be fun. Kick is an old instant messaging app. And you can chat, share pictures, videos. Now on the app, you can connect with someone you know and send them private messages, or you can join chat rooms. In fact, when you first install the app, it tries to show you some cool chat rooms to try joining. And rooms have themes, like you can join a room about Pokemon or Fortnite or different regions of the world where people live. And you can, you can f- find different groups based on search preferences. So you can use different tags and such to try and find specific groups that might share interests with what you're looking for. And it's, <laughs> like really, it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It, it has a lot of potential in being a good forum site where everyone can be there and have fun and make good groups and start good communities. But, <laughs> but it is not maintained well enough, so it has its target side. Ah, yes, the dark side of Kick. That's what I'm interested in. So let's go there. But first, let's back up and talk about the company who runs Kick. You're going to be very curious about this eventually, so we might as well get into it now. Kick was created by some Canadian students in University of Waterloo in 2010. A month after launching, it had a million users. Five years later, the Chinese company Tencent invested $50 million into Kick, trying to make it the WeChat of the West. WeChat is a massive chat app in Asia, so Tencent saw potential in Kik. This helped explode Kik's popularity. By this point, the company was called Kik Interactive, and they had a whole team of people working there. There was a CEO who oversaw everything, bunches of employees, marketers, a whole team of people who were working on Kik. And their team was expanding fast too, with dozens of employees at the time. In 2015, Kik reported it had 240 million users and 70% of them were between the ages of 13 and 24. I actually went and looked at the terms of service because I wanted to like actually know what you're supposed to do with the app. And it's marketed for kids 13 and up. It's actually, you're not supposed to share any not safe for work imagery. They actually have certain words blocked, so you can't name your chat certain things. Like, you can't use any curse words in the naming of your chats. That's right. Kick is for kids. In fact, if you go to kick.com brands, which is a webpage they use to pitch to potential advertisers, the title of the page says, Reach Teens in Their World. And it goes on to say that one out of three American teens use Kick. 
And Kick loves marketing this app to teens because it's well known that teens are trendsetters. So if teens make a social platform popular, then everyone else will eventually come too. That's what happened with MySpace, Facebook, and so many others. But despite it being super popular, Kick didn't really have a way to make money. In fact, they were losing money fast. So they had to come up with a plan to make Kick profitable. They saw that WeChat is not only a chat app, but also a payment app. You can use it like Venmo or whatever and send money back and forth between users. Kick wanted to do something like that, but at the same time, they saw the boom in cryptocurrencies and decided to make their own crypto coin called Kin. In 2017, they launched Kin. Now to start out, Kik gave themselves tons of this cryptocurrency, and they were telling people that there's two ways to initially obtain it. There would be a private pre-sale, and there would later be a public sale. In both methods though, people would buy this Kin with Ethereum from Kik. The private pre-sale resulted in Kik selling $50 million worth of Kin. By the time the public sale was over, Kick had made $98 million from doing this initial sale of their Kin cryptocurrency. And all that money went straight into Kick's bank account. The SEC warned them about raising money through cryptocurrencies like this. They had to follow certain rules, and it gets tricky. But it didn't seem like Kick respected the rules. So in 2019, SEC filed suit against Kick and Kin, alleging securities violations. We're getting into some legal weeds here, but it seems like Kick is saying that Kin is a cryptocurrency and it shouldn't be considered a security. But the SEC was saying, well, if you're using it to raise money for your company, you're sort of treating it like it is a security. Kick was saying it was a currency. The SEC was saying it's more like a stock. And it's tricky because, well, yeah, it is a currency. Kick was really using it to raise money for their company, basically treating it like a security. So Kick and the SEC went into a fierce legal battle. This legal battle was rough and changed everything about Kick. The team at Kick was tied up with this lawsuit and just loved all the money they were making with Kin. So they just sort of stopped caring about Kick, their chat app. Kin was making money. Kick was losing money. It's as if Kick Interactive split into two when they made Kin. In fact, they made their own separate entity called the Kin Foundation, which just focused on Kin. So in 2019, Ted Livingston, the founder of both Kick and Kin, announced that Kick would no longer be supported. They were done with it, and they were going to shift focus entirely to work on Kin. In fact, they took their staff of almost 100 people down to just 19 people. And the CEO said, quote, Going forward, our 19-person team will be focused on one goal, getting millions of people to buy Kin to use it. End quote. And so nobody, I mean, nobody was left to work on the Kick Chat app. The app was abandoned by its own company. And Kick Interactive announced it would be shutting down the chat app in October 2019. But then, a company called Media Lab AI stepped in. This is a California-based company who owns several other chat apps like Secret, Yik Yak, and Whisper. They offered to buy Kick. So it was sold to Media Lab. We don't know for how much, but this is who owns Kick today, Media Lab AI. And so the app is still alive and growing even today. Now, you're gonna find all this to be pretty important later, so thanks for sticking with me through this. 
Now, Media Lab has a history of buying failing apps and trying to make them profitable. So what's the first thing they do when they buy Kick? The only thing Media Labs did was the second they took over, everybody started seeing ads on the app. If you use Kick today, you'll undoubtedly see ads everywhere. They're in chat rooms, they're in private messages. It's pretty much a permanent banner at the top of the app that's always displaying ads. And so that brings us to today. I haven't seen recent numbers, but the latest count that I saw was that Kick has over 300 million users and it's owned by Media Lab AI. And they're likely doing as little work as they can to just make it profitable and keep it going. All right, so, so you get in there, you're playing around. <clears throat> what do you discover when you're in there? <clears throat> so what I discover is that there are many groups for many, many, many different things. And I joined a few groups, some uh, related to some gaming stuff. And then I start noticing some people are talking about some more kinky groups, let's call it that. Um, but I also start noticing some other groups um, that generally just share straight up porn. Ah, uh, yeah. A chat program which lets you make rooms about whatever you want and post pictures and videos of whatever you want. Yeah, of course, there's going to be porn there. But, you know, posting porn online is typically legal. As long as the porn is legal in its in and of itself, that the act, uh, actors in it are legal and uh, legal of age in the country that they're from and in the country that it is being shown in, and uh, that there's no acts in it that are illegal, such as rape. As long as that is taken off, then it is legal, to my knowledge, at least. Okay. So, so how, how's the porn scene on Kick? I mean, so here's the thing that's weird already, right? You've got this target audience is 13 to 24 year olds. 70% of their users is that. Um, and yet there's uh, there's porn channels. So it's interesting that they have that already. But um, yeah, how's the porn scene over there on Kick? It is very active. Um, it, like some of the, uh, the actual social groups I joined were much less active than the porn groups. So when you get into a porn chan or room or whatever it's called, um, what, what's going on there? Are people just posting like photo after photo of, of nudity and stuff like that? Or is there videos mm -hmm. being posted? Or is it like, do you ask people like, hey, do you have something like this? Or what, do you just, is it is it like TV? You just turn it on and you see what's there? Or is there, is it like, um, yes to all of the above. Uh, <laughs> it, dep it depends a lot from group to group. Uh, in a lot of groups, when you join first, you are asked to verify because there are a lot of bots on Kick. So to avoid there being bots and people who aren't active and such, you're being asked to, uh, to verify. So you send a message to an admin and uh, they want, uh, they tell you to sent something, maybe a video, some porn video, so that, and so that you show that you are willing to share, or uh, maybe a live picture of yourself or something like that. And then you get into the group and, well, depending on the group, you can be finding all of the things that you mentioned. Um, some are very, very active and people just share a lot of both pictures and videos other groups, uh, you are less active and you have to spe uh, specifically ask for what people want, so to speak. Um, and that's kind of where I got my start, actually. 
um, is trading, as it's called, um, where you, where people have some request for something in porn, and then uh, you try and give it to them, and then in return they give something back. And it is videos and pictures and and that's kind of where I got really interested in it because, well, when you've seen uh, seen one pa uh, pair of boobs, you've seen them all, so to a degree. So the porn part pretty quickly got boring, but trading was very uh, was very very different and a lot more fun. So this is how Doctor got started trading pornography on Kick. People would ask for certain types of explicit material, he'd hunt for it, find it, and then share it in the channel or privately to that user. In return, he'd get some other picture or video, which he'd then save so that he could maybe give that to someone else someday. And this is all free too, just show up and be active, really. But the thing is, Kick's terms of service strictly forbids this type of activity. I mean, so does Facebook too. Pornography isn't allowed to be posted on either of those platforms. But Kick's terms of service says, Users aren't allowed to share material that's unlawful, obscene, defamatory, libelous, threatening, or pornographic. And the list goes on. But the point here is that porn is not permitted on Kick. So it just shouldn't even be there. Yet Doctor was telling us how prolific it is on there. With a couple searches, you can quickly find channels full of porn. And yeah, a lot of their users are teenagers. So, um... <laughs> I guess we should catch up with Azrael again for a minute. So while Doctor was on there trading porn, Azrael was on a whole different path. He was just hanging out in an anime channel, doing normal things that people do in chat groups, nothing kinky or weird. One of the chats I was an administrator for got raided by a source clan were immoral raiders and they just Somebody dropped into their chat, gave them a hashtag, they hit the chat. They jumped in, tried a few spam bots. Spam bots weren't spamming hard enough, to, so they just started threatening people. They claimed to have our IPs, and I knew that you couldn't really grab IPs without some special tools. They would join and I would remove them, and it was like that for a couple hours. I was just removing account after account after account. And then they started private messaging me pictures of gore and claiming that they would do that to me because they had my address and all this and that. And I just didn't care. And eventually I got legitimately angry and talked to a buddy of mine who was into the exploitation side of kick. And he got me my first actual mod that I could hit people with. And that's where it all started, I guess. What happened was I kind of started spotting these people that were using modified APKs. APKs are what Android apps are. That's just how they are bundled and that's how they come. And what he found were people were taking Kick and modifying the app to do different things. Pretty much hacking the app itself. So the only exploit back then was you could turn off your red receipts and see who was reading your messages. 
Ah, right. So when you send someone a message, it'll show you if it's read or not. But with this modified version of Kick, you could make it so that the messages you actually did read show as unread to others. And I don't count that as an exploit, considering. But then things started ramping up, and the old owners of Kick released the source code. And after that, the modding community with it went wild. That's where blue mods came in, uh, King Skull, and all that. What, King wait, what, Skull is these, what are these things? What's the? What are the mods? What like is there? What are there bots in these things or something? Is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. Yes. So, my custom APK, uh, basically, it has a few basic exploits. I can see who reads my messages. Uh, I can prevent people from seeing that I read messages. Uh, I can send raw XML files, which are stanzas, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Hmm, interesting. There's a whole community on Kick who run customized versions of Kick that allows them to have different features that the normal user doesn't have. Now, keep in mind, this also is not allowed in Kick. It's against the terms of use. It specifically says, quote, except as permitted by us in writing, you agree not to reproduce, distribute, modify, prepare derivative works of, translate, reverse engineer, reverse compile, or disassemble the services in whole or in part, end quote. So yeah, Media Lab doesn't want people modifying their app to make it do extra stuff like this. But apparently, Media Lab isn't monitoring for this type of activity. So there's quite a few people doing this. In fact, there's a guy named Blue who made a modded version of Kick, and he was actually trying to sell it. He wanted you to pay 50 bucks for it, but who pays for shit? So this is what Azrael was seeing, modded versions of Kick, And he was fascinated by all the extra things you could do that a normal user couldn't. On top of that, he was saying that there were all these raider clans on Kick who would go infiltrate chat channels and attempt to try to grief other channels or something. He really didn't like that his anime channel got raided. So he modded up his Kick client to help defend his channel. And that uh, has a bot system where you can lock your chat so that anybody who joins is immediately removed and a couple other things like that. You can censor words. So if somebody says a censored word, they're removed. And my smart thing I did was I went and got a list of all the working raid bots and plugged them in one at a time into my censors list. So anytime anybody added the bot, removed. So it completely prevented us from getting raided. This was cool, to him at least, to have a sort of super-powered kick client to do extra stuff that other people couldn't, but it fascinated him to the point where he wanted to know what other modded clients you could get with other features. And he eventually found one that let him send XML stanzas to other users. Let me explain. See, Kick uses a protocol called XMPP, which sends messages from one user to another. XMPP uses XML to encode and format the actual messages being sent. So just think of XML as this language that each side of the chat app understands, and it's how communication happens in the app. 
Well, Azrael's Kick client had the ability to modify the way that XML message looked when sending a message to someone. He could essentially inject a stanza of code, which is just like a snippet of code, into the chat. And then this would be executed by other Kick clients that are in that chat room. When another user would see that stanza, their client would have to process that code which would sometimes make their chat app do weird things. So you could join a chat, send a stanza through the XML system, and it was like, oh, this user was just given admin. And then you have admin ability. Whoa, to get admin ability to any chat room you wanted? That's crazy. You can just take over any chat room anytime. That was patched. So that isn't a thing anymore. Okay, good. Glad that was fixed. People shouldn't be able to just take over chat rooms. But we're starting to see Azrael's path take shape here. He's exploiting the Kick app to defend chat rooms. But can you guess where this is going? It doesn't quite seem dark yet, right? It just kind of seems like a, a, a nerf fight. <laughs> to, yeah. To play like, oh, really... I've got a chat room and I'm trying to defend my chat room. It doesn't seem that big of a deal. It, it really wasn't. So where does how does this get worse? So I started noticing other chats were getting raided and like there were clans and these clans had a large number of exploits. And I was thinking at the time, if I join one of these clans, not only will I have all of their exploits, but I'll be able to learn to the point where maybe I can pivot off kick and help people there, or I'll just have enough exploits that Nobody can touch my chat room. So there's something funny about the way the way you say it. For someone just listening to it for the first time, and you say clans, and there's uh, I don't know raid clans. It sounds very childish. <laughs> I understand. No. All right, clan. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get together and we're gonna raid this channel. <laughs> yeah. Basically, uh, the clan I joined at the time was called Raindrop. And they were focused on just like anti-toxicity. You know what I mean? So if one of our spies joined a chat and the chat was toxic in like, they would say, share somebody's pictures that didn't want them shared, or the admin was just really rude and mean and kicked people for no reason we would go and take the chat. And so while Azriel used to defend chat rooms from takeovers and spammers, he's now become one of the spammers and raiders. Now, the tactic to take over a channel is somewhat interesting. First, a bunch of people join from his clan, and then they start spamming like crazy, posting pictures, text, whatever. And it just becomes a constant stream of scrolling information. And you really can't read anything when you're in that room. People with slow internet connections might get lagged out. People with notifications on might just get bells ringing constantly. And yeah, the admins could kick people, but the raiders knew who the admins were and would target them specifically with crazy stanzas and all kinds of private messages, XML that's all buggy, and things to just make their app freeze. And once the admins just start falling out of the chat room and they can get enough people in that chat room, they can take it over. So this is the kind of stuff Azriel starts doing and was having fun with it. So while all this is going on in Kick, Doctor is still over there in some other chat rooms fulfilling people's desires to see certain porn. 
I'm not quite sure I understand this whole trading, like the whole reason why anyone would want to trade. Um, but I don't think I need to really get into it. So, because <laughs> it just seems like, oh, you want to you want to masturbate here? I'll give you some stuff. And it's just <laughs> weird to help people masturbate. But okay, that's I, if that's yeah, cool. it it is weird. And when you put it like that, it's it is very very weird. I found it kind of like oddly fun in a way, just because it was like more in the challenge because very because I was very good at trading, um, very good at getting a lot of stuff. So very quickly I had, um, more than two, 3000 items in my library. Now keep in mind, kick is only a mobile app. So everything these guys are doing is 100% on their phone. So when someone requested some porn, he'd have to go looking through thousands of things on his phone to get a good one and send it. Yeah. And the part that made me good at trading was also that not only did I have uh, have that many and I got more, I got over 8,000, um, but I was able to pretty much memorize them. So I had watched most of what I got in a sort of objective manner. So I knew pretty much what was in it. So if people asked for something, I knew, uh, I knew, okay, do I have that or do I not have that? Do I have something that falls close to those criteria? And approximately when did I get it so that I can find it in relation to others? And then I could scroll, uh, scroll down and find it. So the challenge became people ask for something. And I had uh, had like this little calling signet that uh, like I posted out uh, the the do- uh, the doctors in. So if you uh, uh, if you have an itch that needs scratching, uh, I uh, I've got something like that. Uh, well, to a degree, I think it's uh, it uh, a big part of it, and why people are into it uh, into trading is not just the whole kink thing, but power really. I think it's the feeling of power that you get from being able to give people what they want always and that people recognize that. Um, it, like when I started out, pe- people didn't know me at all, but very quickly, a lot of people started noticing that I, kn- I knew my business. And if, in, and a lot of people started saying like, if anyone has it, it's dark. Getting recognized like that is a powerful feeling. And to be honest, it's a drug in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a weirdly good feeling. How much time are you spending on this? Way too much. <laughs> um, way, way too much time on it. This was during the first lockdown around where I lived. Um, so I had nothing but time. Like it was one of the first things I did when I wake, woke up was see, do I have any requests? Anyone who's personally messaged messaged me. Um, and then as I would go about my morning routine, get a cup of coffee and stuff, I would start looking through what they wanted, start finding some stuff. And I would go all day pretty much. Um, like uh, I might be playing, uh, playing games on the side, maybe even chatting to some people, um, online, but I would pretty much be on my phone the entire day 
Okay, so everyone has their own addiction. I'm not going to judge. That's just what Doc was into. But still, you might be asking, these are supposed to be true stories from the dark side of the internet. Raiding chat rooms and looking at porn is not that dark. Well, thanks for hanging out with me this long, setting up the story, because everything is about to get really dark from here. This is the last chance to turn back. After the break, it gets dark. Support for this episode comes from Oracle for Startups. I think I have to buy a new phone this week. This one I have is running out of space, and it's just too slow for my modern usage. But I wonder if startup companies have this same problem, where they start out with some cool new technology to run their business, but over time it starts to slow down, and their underlying architecture just can't handle big customers, large spikes, or the growth that they hope to have. How does a startup find technology that can grow with them? Well, Oracle has this startup partnership. It's cleverly called Oracle for Startups. The idea is even though you're a startup, you can tap into the cloud computing power, expertise, and connections of a big dog like Oracle. You get free cloud credits and 70% off their cloud services. Plus, with multi-cloud support and no vendor lock-in, you build this any way you want. Now you aren't frustrated and you've got the power to scale and you're free to go after your dream customers. Don't stay stuck. Go check out oracle.com slash go to slash darknet. Doc had been on a massive porn trading binge, but eventually got a request that he didn't know how to fulfill. People sometimes started asking for um, what they generally just called CP. And at first I didn't know. And as soon as you asked what's CP, nobody would say, uh, would say and they would just Close, uh, close the chat, block you. Um, but after a while, I figured out CP stood for child pornography. Uh, and some, and sometimes people also just refer to it as, as underage, um, which was easier to understand at first, at least. Um, but CP was kind of like the code word that people used, the shorthand and if you didn't know what it, uh, what it was, you weren't supposed to know, so to speak. And those items had a lot more value. Um, those were the ones that pe- uh, that some people really wanted when they wanted to test what uh, what kind of collection you had and to see, like, oh, you uh, you maybe have these things and these things, and then they start talking about age slowly, like what are the age of the actresses, and oh, do you have a little bit younger? How about a bit, a little bit younger? And a little bit younger. And it became really creepy very, very quickly. Uh, and I couldn't provide, and I wouldn't provide, because I had some that looked very young, but I knew that those were porn actresses that were like 22 plus, something like that. Um, that I had looked up to make sure. Um, but, but, the, uh, but then I st- uh, started getting some items that I honestly didn't know, um, how young they were. And people started valuing those items more in certain groups. And age was all of a sudden a huge value factor so that the lower the age would get, the higher the value item, no matter if it was picture or video. Um, like for comparison, a picture 
of an of on of an underage girl, a lot of people would value as the same value as um, five to ten normal porn videos. Now, while he's trading porn to people all day, every day, he's still collecting tons of porn on his phone. And maybe I was trading with someone, and then they start sending some, um, and and then I have to say, "Oh no, CP, dude." Um, but I would still get and get and get these things and see them. He was shocked that people had this type of content. At first, some of the stuff I saw, what I was made me horrified. Like, who would even keep this around? Um, and why would people send me this even when I didn't even ask for it? Then, after he saw this a few more times, the shock wore off. And after he saw it a few more times after that, he'd save that photo or video to his phone. Still not giving it to others when they asked, but keeping it because he was a collector. And over time I got jaded. So I really didn't see the age as much anymore. And at some point I realized that, hey, I have access to a lot of these. A lot of people are asking for it. Well, sure. Like the power got uh, got to my head and I was like, okay, sure, I can dist distribute some of it. But then I set a limit. I would not go below this age. What was what age? Um, the age was 14, I think. Nothing below 14 years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and again, as soon as I accepted that, it was just a, a downward spiral from there, really. After a while, some of the stuff I just stopped caring, and and I just saw the value of the item itself, not what was actually in it. And it sounds horrible, I know, and it felt horrible when I realized it later. But at the time, I didn't realize what I was doing and how bad it was. Do you have any idea how old the people were that you were trading these with? It uh, there was a wide range. Like the youngest people I talked to was around ten or eleven. Um, I wouldn't get. Uh, uh, I never. I never gave them any porn. But a lot of people were trying to. Well, who people who were child molesters? They were trying to get them to make porn, and I. And that's usually why they. Why I got in touch with them. Uh, was not to get porn from them, but, but because I was an, ad, uh, an admin in the same rooms, so they would come to me and say, hey, this person is asking for nudes of me. And uh, I would ban them, uh, the people who were asking for nudes. All right. This app is targeted towards teens. According to Kick, one in three American teenagers use Kick, which means there's probably a lot of preteens on there too. That's a really bad mix. When you have preteen children in the same chat room as people looking for child porn, this is ugly. This is really ugly. And it can't end well. And uh, and the oldest I talked to, I think we're in their mid-60s. What the hell is a 60-year-old even doing in this chat app? Oh, yeah. I know why, because porn and child porn is prolific on kick. 
I was in a lot of rooms. Uh, when I was the most active, I was active in like 30 or so rooms. Um, 30 porn rooms? If not more. See what I mean? I hate to say kick just allows porn without knowing exactly what kick is doing to stop this, but it's incredibly easy to find porn in the app. I mean, doctor says he was in 30 rooms himself. So you can see that this isn't just a few bad people or just a small issue. There are a lot of people on kick solely there for the porn. And not only that, but many of these rooms are actively posting child porn. How vast or how big is the child porn exchange system going on on kick? never ending like if you if you use the right text to search for um when you're searching for the private groups uh, not the private group the public groups even um you can find so many groups there's a there it's a very active scene unfortunately so the um the the moderators of kick i mean obviously there's moderators in each room but isn't uh, isn't kick at all moderate moderating any of this stuff? Honestly, I don't know. I think they try to, to some degree. Uh, I know that they have some form of um, artificial intelligence running th uh, through some of the rooms, looking uh, looking for some things, trying to recognize some patterns and see if these and these things are posted then they will um, close down the rooms, maybe ban the users, and um, make sure the content is no longer viewable. How do you know that they're running that? Um, because some people I've traded with um, uh, later on, if I, if I look at the history of um, chat history with them, I can go back and see, oh, these things are, are no longer available, and sometimes the rooms get shut down. Okay, I had to research this, and this is what I found. Kik has a few methods to combat child pornography. In 2015, Kik partnered with Microsoft to test Microsoft's photo DNA service. Apparently, what Microsoft has is a database of known child porn image hashes. Now, hashes aren't the images themselves. It's just a string of text, like um, a fingerprint of the file. And if you have the hash, you can't generate the image from that. But if you have the image, you can quickly generate a hash of that image. So Kik was somehow using this photo DNA technology to scan their images to see if there was a known child porn image on their site. But I'm not sure exactly how they did that or what they did when they found a match or even if this photo DNA service is still in use anymore. The last time I heard about it was in 2015. In Doc's case, who started using Kick in 2020, he didn't see any evidence that would suggest that this is an always-on filter. There were child porn images posted all the time to chat rooms and private messages, and those rooms would stay up and online forever. And if you scroll back through the history in those chat rooms, you could see child porn that was posted long ago in the past. From what I can tell, it only starts looking in the rooms and looking at individual people if they are reported for something. So if a user reports another user or chat room, then some kind of anti-child porn scan triggers and may remove content? And I guess from Kick's point of view, there are probably millions of images posted every minute in safe and clean chat rooms. So maybe it's just too expensive or too hard to scan every image to see if it's a known child porn image. 
So my guess is they're just not very thorough with trying to combat this. But I don't want to just take one guy's opinion about what he saw on Kick. I want to do my own research on this and see if there's other evidence I can find about child porn on Kick. Of course, I'm not going to go on the app and look for it myself. Uh-uh, I'm staying far away from that for sure. But if I search the internet for Kick and child porn, news stories just start jumping out at me. A Calabash man is accused of using an app to receive and send sexually explicit photos and videos of minors. Now, according to arrest warrants, 19-year-old Benjamin Lindsay used Kick, that's a messenger app, to distribute the images. The unknown children are between the ages of 7 and 12. The court documents say Joshua Richard Harrison confessed to posting explicit photos of children through the app Kick. Milwaukee County Judge Brett Blummy's Instagram page is filled with personal and professional highlights on his way to the judiciary. But after a search in Cottage Grove of one of his two homes and his arrest, authorities say his computer activity on the app Kick links him to child porn. With uploaded images and videos consistent with child pornography through the Kick app, on 27 occasions last fall. Judge Blummy has been on Milwaukee County Circuit Court bench since August. His assignment, children's court. As a bond condition, he's now banned by a court of having unsupervised contact with minors. The judge leaves this county's criminal justice system knowing he will return not to dispense justice, but to potentially have to accept its consequences. The news articles are continuous. There was a guy in Tucson, Arizona, who was arrested for posting child porn to a chat room in Kick. There was a guy in New Jersey who was arrested for trying to have sex with an underage girl on Kick. In 2020, a New York man was sentenced to 11 years in prison for possessing 1,500 images and 150 videos of pornographic material involving minors that was distributed on Kick. In 2020, an Ohio man was guilty for distributing child porn over Kick and got 20 years in prison. And there are so many more cases. In fact, I'm looking at a BBC article now, which is simply titled, Kick Chat App Involved in 1,100 Child Abuse Cases. So just as a cursory glance, Kick has a very big problem with child abuse. And yes, this is child abuse. In fact, the common term I've seen used to describe this stuff is CSAM, spelled C-S-A-M, which stands for Child Sexual Abuse Material. And it's simply defined as any sexually explicit image or video of anyone under 18 years old. This can be a very traumatic experience for kids. And the trauma comes right back anytime they see the image again. There are organizations out there fighting hard to stop the spread of this. Now, before we get into those organizations, I want to know what Kick is doing about this. So I reached out. I started where I normally reach out to anyone, which is Twitter. There's a Kick account on Twitter. It has over 300,000 followers. But looking at that account, they haven't posted a single tweet since October 2019, over a year and a half ago, which is the same month that Media Lab bought them. However, in their bio, there's a link for help, and I need help for sure. So I click the link, which is help.kick.com. The first time I clicked it, I got a 404 page, not found. But then I clicked it again, and it sent me to a Zendesk portal that doesn't exist. The site just says, oops, that help center no longer exists. Okay, so Kick has no social media anymore, and their help portal is just abandoned. They just seem to have completely canceled their Zendesk service and didn't bother to update the URL in their Twitter bio. All right, so next, let's see if I can get help in the app. 
And while using the app, I did find a way to message the Kick team directly, which is a perfect way to get in-app help. So I message them saying, I need help. And the Kick team replies, ahoy there. I say, there seems to be a child porn problem here. What are you doing to stop this? And the reply was, if you believe the message you received contains illegal content, please contact your local law enforcement agency. You can also report this to our support team. And then they give me a link for support. But the link they give me is help.kick.com, which is the same link in their Twitter bio, the link that's been dead for years. So I tell them, that link doesn't work. And they reply to me, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash kick. And I'm like, that Twitter account has been inactive for years. And then they reply, howdy. At the point I realized I was talking with a bot and was getting nowhere and I was getting more frustrated. I really want someone from Kick to talk with me. So I looked for another way to contact them. I go to kick.com and click the contact button. There are two email addresses there. One is kicksupport at medialab.la. The other is kicksafety at medialab.la. The dot la threw me off because the company's name is Medialab AI, but okay, whatever, I'll try these emails. I email Kick Support, asking to speak with anyone there about this. I get a generic response. Thanks for emailing us. We're experiencing unusually high email volume, and we'll get back to you whenever we can. They never got back to me, and it's now been three months. I sent an email to Kick Safety. No reply. Not even a confirmation that they got my email. And yeah, that's also been three months of waiting with nothing from them either. I go back to their website. Who's running Kick? I wonder. There's a link at the bottom of the page called Safety Center. I click it. It has lots of information on being safe in the app, but then at the bottom of the page are people's faces. Meet our safety advisory board. And there's a picture of Anne, Brooke, Justin, and Hemu. These are their advisors, and Brooke is specifically advising them on child exploitation problems. Perfect. So I message her on Twitter. No response. I message her on LinkedIn. No response. I give up on her and start going down the line. Anne is another advisor. I send her a tweet. She does reply, but she tells me she hasn't worked on the kick advisory board in years. I also see Justin's on the board. I tweet at him, but he replies saying, nope, I haven't been on the board for years either. Okay, so this entire advisory board, which is posted publicly on their website, is no longer valid. I'm starting to think they don't have any advisors at this point and have not updated their website in years. It feels to me like Media Lab has abandoned Kick. Their website is defunct. Their Twitter is defunct. There's no phone number for them because there's probably no one to answer the phone. Nobody appears to be home at Kick. But according to the Google Play Store, the app is still getting updates. About once a week, it'll have some kind of update. So someone is clearly back there doing something. But I'm telling you, after trying for months and months and months to get a hold of someone, anyone, I was completely unsuccessful. As far as I can tell, nobody is there. So once again, Media Lab is who owns Kick. They took it over when Kick was facing those SEC legal troubles, and they knew it was losing money like crazy, but they're trying to make it profitable with ads. My theory is that it's not profitable, or Media Lab is just really trying hard to cut corners as much as they can by just not staffing effectively and not taking child pornography problems seriously. And they only do the bare minimum just to maintain the app. To get more help, I called up my friend, Keelan. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you? Great. Thanks so much for taking my call. 
Oh, no problem. This is Caitlin Bowden. She's badass. In fact, she's so badass, she started something called the Badass Army, which stands for Battling Against Demeaning and Abusive Selfie Sharing. Basically, if someone takes your nude photos and posts them publicly without your consent, that's a problem. It's devastating. And Caitlin has been helping victims of revenge porn for a while now by doing things like helping people get their images removed from the internet. Yes. Have you ever had to try to get images removed off of Kick? Yes. Um, actually, that was one of the largest platforms that, you know, we worked with. Um because there are so many different ways that these images are getting shared. And Kick is one of the platforms that people feel more uh, anonymous on. So therefore, they're more likely to do this sort of thing. Um, and, you know, there was, in the beginning, you know, it was almost impossible to get anything removed from Kick. Um, and then for like a few months, right in the middle, I want to say it was, you know, toward the end of 2018 or so, um, they were really great about responding, but it didn't last really for very long at all. And suddenly everything just was going unanswered again. So when you say responding, they say, um, you know, this is a, this is a non-consensual posting of a, of a nude photograph. Um, can you please remove it? And they would remove it? Yes, they would. Well, they would shut down the, um, you know, chat room that was, uh, the picture was being shared in, or they would shut down the user's account that was sharing the image. Um, or if law enforcement was contacting them, they would, you know, respond with the information that they were asked. Um, and, you know, with Badass, we normally would use a DMCA. Uh, so there was, you know, the copyright violation, and they just would shut down what needed to be shut down. It would remove the image. Okay. So, so at some point they stopped removing images for you they stopped responding at all there wasn't even you know an easy way to get a hold of them suddenly the email pass the email that we had been sending our dmcas to um was no longer active it for a while there was just no response at all and then eventually things were getting bounced back um and then you know we found other emails for the company that had bought them and still just nothing okay it so was like we were just throwing these emails out there and nobody was reading them. So that was a while ago. I mean, here we are in 2021. Are, are, do you think these images are still up? Well, actually, you know, when you had brought up the subject of kick with me, I was just curious. There was an account that I had used to infiltrate these picture sharing groups. I haven't used it in a while. I haven't checked it in a while. Um, you know, but it got my curiosity going. And there was a, a court case like about a year back where, you know, the creep that had been sharing the images was found guilty and sentenced. And part of my job with Badass was helping the victim clean up the mess now that it was no longer needed as evidence. So out of curiosity, I went to that old account and I know that I had sent out DMCAs to get these images removed and then I just kind of while I was busy and I never really double checked and triple checked to make sure they were removed. And much to my dismay, they're still up. Um, and these images are, you know, found to have been illegal. It's not like this is, you know, just a, um, just a copyright violation or anything like that in their eyes. These are images of a teenager and that are still up and available. Well, 
specifically under 18. Yes, specifically under 18. This is really frustrating me. Kick has completely stopped removing revenge porn photos too, or not even respecting DMCA takedown requests. What the hell, Kick? Um, well, the issue is that if Kick knows that these images are out there, they then are obligated to clean them up. Um, and if they don't clean them up and they know about it, then they're in big trouble. So what they're doing right now is they're turning a blind eye to it. They're they're ostriching. They're sticking their head in the sand and pretending this isn't a problem. Yeah, good point there. If Kick doesn't know this is going on in their chat app, that's abhorrent. And if they do know and they're not doing anything about it, that's also abhorrent. There's no explaining the situation at this point. The issue is the kick doesn't moderate, okay? So there's nobody sitting there watching any of this stuff happen. Unless they are being made aware of the issue, they don't know what's happening. And they're in big trouble for not moderating at all because they're allowing these illegal images um, to still be on their platform. But the issue is if they know about it and they still don't do anything, then they're in much bigger trouble because then they're knowingly doing it. What's so frustrating about all this to me is that Kick doesn't seem to be held responsible for any of the problems that they're allowing to happen. Um, that is actually kind of a safe haven. And I'm going to say something that's going to be extremely unpopular because, and even I don't like saying it, and that is that, you know, Section 230. It makes it so that the platform itself is not responsible for what the users do on it. If a user is committing a crime with the platform, the platform is not liable. And until a method is found to, you know, incentivize platforms taking the initiative to delete these images and to make sure that their platforms are moderated, then there's no reason that they feel they need to do it. I'm getting really frustrated now. Like, my palms are actually sweating. What does a person do when they get this frustrated? That's it. I'm calling the authorities. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So let's start out. Um, who, who are you and what do you do? Um, my name is uh, J.P. Brigo. I serve as a special agent for uh, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost Bureau of Criminal Investigation. Uh, I've been an agent since 2012. Okay, so I have a I have a crime to report. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, you may have to talk to police department for that, not me. But go ahead. Okay, well there has been quite a lot of child um, sexual abuse material on Kick recently, and I don't think Kick is moderating this. We've run into that. It uh, probably takes up a significant portion of not just, I think, the time of the agents that I serve with, but the agencies that we help out. Um, again, it's, uh, Jack, it's, it's just fairly common that we are, in a sense, tackling these. But as you know, um, it's the World Wide Web. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. <laughs> it's, it's well beyond what any agency themselves can take on. 
JP went on to explain to me that whenever they receive reports of people trading child porn, they take it very seriously and investigate the person and make arrests whenever they find evidence. The reason why I called him is because he's dealt with this exact case a bunch of times. Like he's dealt with child porn issues in the past and arrested people. So it's true. They do take this seriously. And as we heard earlier, there's no shortage of news stories about people being arrested for trading child porn on kick which is good. Those people should be stopped. But I feel like the common part of this story is that Kik is seemingly permitting this type of activity. And is there some kind of legal trouble that they can get into for allowing this? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. That's here. It's probably a little bit too big of a, of a, <laughs> I want to say something for me to put my hands around and, you know, really, I, I, I would need a, I would need to really pull in some mind, um, in the sense of prosecutions, some legal perspective on, um, I'm not disagreeing with you that they should be about the work of making this a, I don't want to say it, a safer place, not just for kids, but for all of its users. Um, but I, I don't know that I could, that I could even speculate how that's the, how that would happen. But um, when I hear you say, what can we do? Just keep reporting. I mean, I know Nick Mick has been a fantastic organization. In a sense, many times you see these reports of the arrest and whatnot, but many times it starts from them because, you know, in their history too, they were and they still are about the business of trying to protect and, and, and serve our communities in the sense of, you know, no, they're not law enforcement, but they have that, they have that drive to, to, see, to see something resolved. Okay, so his suggestion is to report this to NCMEC, which is spelled N-C-M-E-C. This is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and they run something called the Cyber Tip Line. The Cyber Tip Line was created by Congress to process reports of child sexual exploitation and then take these reports and help enrich those databases of known child porn hashes, as well as reporting it to law enforcement. This is probably where that photo DNA service gets its hashes from. The cyber tip line puts out yearly reports on what it sees. And in 2020, it received 21 million reports of child sexual abusive material. Wow, that's a lot. That poor person who has to go through all of those reports must have no hope for humanity. But I'm digging into this report to learn more. There's two groups of people who report to the cyber tip line. The first is just regular people like you and me. If you see something, you can say something and tell the cyber tip line. But in 2020, there were only 300,000 reports by the public. So where'd those other 20 million cases come from? The companies themselves who saw the explicit material on their platform self-reported. So for instance, in 2020, Facebook, the company, reported 20 million times that they saw child porn on their site. Google reported that they saw it 500,000 times. Imager.com also reported 31,000 instances of child porn to the cyber tip line. So how many times did Kik report child porn to the cyber tip line in 2020? Well, if I search for Kik in the report, it's not present. But if I search for their parent company, Media Lab, it is there and it says they reported 14,000 times to the cyber tip line in 2020. But it's not clear if that was for Yik Yak, Whisper, or Kik since they own all these apps. I asked Nick Mick to clarify how many were for Kik specifically, but they refused to provide extra detail. They're super busy anyway. 
So it seems like Media Lab is doing something, but it just seems like the bare minimum here. Like just enough to stay out of trouble or to be able to say in court, hey, we have filters in place and are actively reporting things to the cyber tip line. But they can do so much more. They're letting so much go through without any consequences to the users trading it. But are they in violation of any laws for permitting this activity? That part I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But I do wonder about COPA laws. This is the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, and it was put in place to safeguard the data of children who are under 13. Now, in the terms of service on KIC, it explicitly says that anyone who is under 13 is not allowed to use the service. But is that good enough? I mean, we clearly know there are kids under 13 on KIC. But does KIC know that too? So in 2019, TikTok was under scrutiny for violating COPA laws. They were illegally collecting personal information from children under 13, and they agreed to settle a lawsuit and paid $5.7 million as a result of this allegation. Surely, if TikTok has been found to violate COPA laws, then Kik must certainly be violating them too, right? So how do you get the FTC to create a suit against someone? I don't know. I suppose you'd have to start with evidence, screenshots pictures, videos, chat messages. But there's no way I'm going in there and collecting that. You kidding me? I know I don't have what it takes. So I think what we have to rely on is some watchdog group or government entity seeing the prolific problem that Kik is allowing and trying to bring them to court to prove what though? That they're negligent at fighting a child porn on their app or even obligated to do that. Section 230 says the app itself isn't responsible for something that the user does, which might be illegal. It might be really hard to prove anything here. So if a group brings this to court, good luck. But that wouldn't be the first time Kick would face legal problems. You already heard about their SEC lawsuit. Well, they lost that case, which resulted in Kick having to pay a $5 million fine. Or I guess the Kin Foundation had to pay that. But even before that lawsuit, the parent company to BlackBerry issued a lawsuit against Kik, saying they were infringing upon some BlackBerry copyright. Kik settled that lawsuit and paid an unknown amount. So you can see that they haven't been the cleanest company legal-wise. But that's just with Kik Interactive. What about Media Lab AI, the company that owns Kik now? Well, looking at Pacer records, I do see a handful of lawsuits against Media Lab. One was a teenager who claims she was sexually harassed on Kick, and she was suing simply because the app didn't warn parents clearly enough that pedophiles were active on this app. And that case got dismissed. There was another lawsuit, it looks like World Star Hip Hop is saying that Media Lab published a copyrighted video. That one's still going on. But there's one more that's pretty interesting. Media Lab owns Whisper, which is a chat app, but I guess you can share secrets with others anonymously. Apparently in March 2020, a security researcher found that the Whisper database was sitting right there on the internet without a password. This left a lot of people exposed. Age and locations of users were leaked. And if you looked at this database, there were 1.3 million users on Whisper who were 15 and under. And in total, there were 900 million user records in this database breach. So this resulted in a class action lawsuit where people were saying they were suffering damages from getting their data exposed like this. Should have been more secure. Media Lab did reach a settlement agreement and paid the victims for this, but we don't know how much was in that settlement. The victims were seeking $5 million, but it just doesn't say what was agreed on. 
Oh, and if you read the app reviews for Whisper, it also looks like that app is not doing well either. Like, it seems like there's lots of scammers on the app now, and maybe even prostitutes, and users are reporting there's just not good moderation taking place there. So yeah, it doesn't seem like Media Lab is the cleanest company legal-wise either, and apparently not the most secure because of their Whisper database breach. But maybe there's the Parler option. Remember Parler, that right-wing social media app? Well, after the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol in January of this year, Google and Apple told Parler they must moderate their content or they'll be removed from the app stores. That was the line they drew. They had to moderate what was going on in the app. Parler didn't moderate their content, and so they got kicked out. Perhaps Google or Apple should do the same with Kick. Say, hey, you've got a real bad child porn problem going on here, and you're not working hard enough to fix it. Either moderate or get kicked out. And by the way, this wouldn't be the first time Kick would be kicked out of an app store. They were first kicked out of the BlackBerry app store after their lawsuit with BlackBerry. BlackBerry really didn't like them after that, and they just removed them from the BlackBerry app store. Kick was also removed from the Windows Mobile app store. This one looks to be more voluntary, though. Kick was just done updating their Windows version, and they're just like, we're just done with this. And so that's two app stores they're gone from, but they're still present and available in two of the biggest, Apple and Google. And I think Google and Apple here have a solid ground to throw Kick out of the app stores. I mean, it's pretty easy to go into Kick and see for yourself all the child porn that exists in there. You might have to trade some child porn in order to see all the rooms to prove it yourself. But once you do, you'll be able to get access to rooms and see it for yourself. But is that going too far, ganging up on Kick and kicking them out? Yeah, it's hard to know for sure what's right and wrong these days. But let's do a few thought experiments. Suppose this app only had one use, which was to spread child porn. If 100% of the users were just there for that, would anyone have a problem kicking them out of the app store then? I don't think so. So how many bad users does it take for you to think that they should be kicked out? It's hard to say because it's likely that every chat app out there has a child porn problem. It's just that this one probably has a bigger problem than most. Here's another thought experiment. What about darknet marketplaces like Silk Road? The guy who started Silk Road, Ross Ulbricht, is in prison for life. Why, though? Under Section 230, he shouldn't have been in trouble for something that other users on the site were doing, right? If two users came on Silk Road to buy and sell drugs, why is that Ross's problem? Well, probably because the whole purpose of Silk Road was to be an illegal drug marketplace. But let's imagine a scenario where he ran Silk Road like Kick. And instead of a drug marketplace, he just simply called it a marketplace. Kick explicitly says no pornography is allowed. What if Silk Road said no illegal behavior is allowed? And then what if Silk Road just turned a blind eye to all the illegal activity that went on there and only banned people if someone complained that what they did was illegal? What then? Because in a court, Ross could have clearly pointed to the rules saying no illegal activity is allowed here and shown how he's banned users for breaking laws. So yeah, what then? Would Section 230 protect him? Would that be enough to keep Ross Ulbricht out of prison or even enough to keep the Silk Road site up to date? I think so, because there's this site called armslist.com. It's like Silk Road, but only for weapons. And when you're buying weapons on the site, you can search for private sales, where it's just you meeting someone in a parking lot somewhere and buying a weapon with cash. And in Wisconsin in 2012, some crazy guy went on the site, found a semi-automatic handgun for sale, specifically found one for sale by a private seller, and met this guy in a McDonald's parking lot and bought the gun from him, and then went to where his wife worked and shot her to death 
and two of her co-workers, the wife's daughter sued armslist.com, saying that they purposely set the site up to allow illegal gun sales because you can filter for just private sellers who don't do background checks and accept cash only. The case went to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And guess what? Section 230 gave armslist total immunity and said they're not responsible for what users do on the site. So online weapons marketplaces are legal even if they facilitate illegal purchases? And this just frustrates me that there's no legal responsibility that app makers and website owners have to abide by when it comes to illegal activity going on in their apps. Because right now, today, they seem to have immunity from this. One more thing to think about. When a bar that serves alcohol has too many reports of disorderly conduct, they can get their liquor license revoked. Or if a bar doesn't prevent illegal activities going on inside it, they can also have their license revoked. But there isn't any clear rule like that with social media apps, apparently. The only way to get your app shut down is if you explicitly allow illegal content, or if one of the app stores decides you aren't following the rules. So it sounds like we're passing the moral and ethical responsibilities to Google and Apple app stores here. But that's putting a lot of burden on those app stores. And there's no public oversight to whatever they decide. And it becomes a little creepy when app stores overextend their power and control and just shut down whatever they feel like. Is it even possible to have a world where the internet is open and ethical too? So let's look a little closer at the Google Play App Store. Because remember, this app, Kick, only exists in the Apple App Store and the Google Play App Store. There's no website version or desktop versions for this app. And there are clear guidelines that all apps must follow to be listed in the Google Play App Store. Here's what they say. Before submitting your app, ask yourself if it's appropriate for Google Play and compliant with local laws. Our restricted content policies cover a broad set of topics. Child endangerment is never acceptable on Google Play. If an account is found to violate these policies, we'll take action, including reporting the account to the appropriate authorities. Okay, so if the app is endangering children, then it's not acceptable in the Google Play Store. But that's not the intent or purpose of Kick. Any chat app can endanger a child. So I guess it comes down to what the users are doing in the app. User-generated content hosted in your app must meet certain requirements, including the implementation and use of content moderation and reporting systems. Aha, there it is. User-generated content must be moderated or you can be kicked out. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm putting my finger, right there, on that violation. But I think it still would be pretty hard to prove you aren't moderating. Because what does that even look like or mean? Blocking curse words in chat room names could be considered moderating, and they do that right now. So what do they really need to do or change here? And how would they be able to prove that to Google if Google was mandating they do this? It's really tricky stuff. Also, don't just take my word for this. Try this. Google the word kick, K-I-K. Then click the news tab on Google so you see all news articles about Kick. I guarantee you the first three, maybe even 10 pages of results are all about child porn on Kick. If all the news articles about your company are talking about child porn on your app, then that should be clear evidence that your company has a very bad child porn problem. Other major publications have highlighted this problem too. There's a Forbes article which is titled 
The $1 billion app kick can't kick its child exploitation problem. And that article was written in 2017, way before Media Lab even bought them. So this isn't a new problem for kick. There's also a New York Times article, which is titled, The Wild Popular App Kick Offers Teenagers and Predators Anonymity. And that article is about how two college guys coerced a 13-year-old on the app to meet them in real life, and then they killed her. If you Google other chat apps like WhatsApp, WeChat, Signal, you simply don't see articles like this or articles about child porn almost at all. So again, this is more proof at how rampant the child porn problem has become on Kick. I want someone to investigate this further, to really know what's going on. Someone who has the teeth, who can actually make something change from all this. All I can do is underline and highlight that this is a problem, but nothing is going to actually happen from me talking about it on this episode. It'll be someone else who actually has power to do something that will actually make a change. And that brings us back to Azrael. Azrael is the hero you didn't know we needed. Remember last we heard he was just getting into using modified kick clients to take over chat rooms? Yeah, well, he was doing good with that kick clan, and then he joined a new clan called Zensec. Now, because he was the new guy, they wanted him to prove himself. What they wanted me to do was they wanted me to either bait somebody into proving themselves, proving to us that they're a pedo, or they wanted me to grab a pedo's IP and basically get all their uh, ISP information and all that stuff. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the first time we've heard the word pedo on here on this interview. Yes. So at, was this the first time you're experiencing that there's a pedophilia on or, or? It was the first time that I saw that pedophilia was a large scale problem. Yes. And Zensec focused solely on the pedophilia problem. So, okay. So when they said that to you, you, you must have been like, the what problem? <laughs> How am I supposed to find these guys? Kinda, yeah. I was like, "All right, so how do I, uh, how do I get a pedo to do this?" And at the time, I had a stanza that I plug in my link to the stanza, and it basically shows up on the receiving end as an invisible picture. And then they're like, "Why isn't this loading?" They click it. I have their IP get all their ISP information. So that's what I used. Uh, basically what happened was one of our other members came in and dropped an app of a known pedophile. And I was like... He dropped a what? An app? An at? An at. So oh, your so it's just profile, a username. Yep. Dropped their username. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it, not doing anything. Let's get this dude. So I dropped the stanza and then I said something to make it so he would open the chat. Okay, so a classic phishing scheme. He said something that he thought a pedophile would be interested in to get them to read his message. But that stanza of code he put in the private chat would collect more information on this person if they read the message. It basically tells the Kit client to reach out to a website for something, and when the user goes to that website, Azrael can see what IP just went there. 
and the IP can tell them what city and location this user is in. And while you can use a VPN with Kik, I've been told that Kik just doesn't work very well over VPNs. Exactly. And let me tell you, dude, pedophiles will click anything. So he collects this extra information on the suspected pedophile and then reports all of what he finds to the admins of this new clan that he's trying to get into. And the admin's like, oh, you didn't even tell us you were doing that. That's great. You're uh, one of us. So he was now in a kick clan that specifically targets pedophiles and child porn traders. When I say pedophile, especially on kick, I mean people that are sharing straight up mega links to terabytes of CP. And it's just, it literally makes me sick to my stomach to think that this is out there. You know what I mean? People are exploiting children. And people are paying for it and sharing it on a child's app. Now, I've been the guest of honor in this clan. I've got to go in and check it out, and it's wild. They've got bots that are there collecting all kinds of information. And anytime the chat room finds a person involved with this kind of stuff or, or chat room, they just feed it to the bot. So the bot has a list of all bad actors and chat rooms. And when the clan is ready to do a raid, they know exactly what channel to hit. Then the people in the clan will get their souped up versions of Kick and go raid different chats in an attempt to take over the chat room and close it down. They all pile into a channel and then start spamming it. So there's two different types of spam codes. There's a QoS attack code, which is literally just as much as you can pack into a single chat bubble. And then there is crash codes. Crash codes rely on actual zero-day exploits within the Kick system, which will force close your app if you look at the code. Now, they could use some tricks to try to take over the chat and close it down, or they could just try scaring people. We rely, honestly, heavily on the fear factor. If somebody comes in and just spams your room and you don't know what's happening, and their account looks scary, and the bot they're using looks scary, you're just going to assume that person is scary. And if you are forced to exit the chat, how did they do that? How am I going to join back? What happens if I join back? You know what I mean? So so you've gone in and spammed lots of pedo rooms. Just what, how many do you think you your crew has spammed at this point? Or raided? We have hundreds. Uh, I personally have only raided 10 or so myself. I prefer fishing at this point, taking accounts that way. Mm-hmm. Because... If I log into an account, I am taking that account out of play. If he owns rooms, I can purge them. If he's victimizing a child, I've cut contact. You know what I mean? But we have hundreds of rooms that people who are better at spamming and attacking have taken. I want to remind you that all this is done on mobile devices since Kik is just a mobile app. How many phones do you have? Uh, one. You're doing all this on one phone? <laughs> yes. With multiple Kick apps installed? Uh, I have, let me count my Kick apps for you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have seven Kick accounts. So this must on be on this one phone. 
each uh, is a different APK because I don't think you can make the same APK yes. installed. You know. Uh, yes. So I have seven different APKs. So you have to multitask on your phone. Like, oh, let's go to all these different Kick uh, apps. Yep. And oh man, that just must be like <laughs> that must be an evening. <laughs> It's a lot to do all at once, and every single time I raid, my heart is racing. It's such a rush because there's you're doing so much all at once, and if you fuck up one little thing, your raid stops. Now, Doc, the guy trading this stuff on Kick, has seen these raids in his chat rooms. Yeah, multiple times. And of course, he finds it annoying. Usually, it's not that effective, but... I have, you know, but I have seen sometimes where one person comes in, um, starts talking, be, uh, being nice, and then they realize there's child pornography in this room, and uh, and they start sending very very hateful messages, um, almost as if a bot takes over, to uh, because they send it to a lot of people very very quickly, and then they start spamming messages. Um, Often just some long copy paste message they send over and over and over and over again, so they get ba uh, banned by the admin. But then later they join again. They shouldn't be able to join because they're banned, but they do. And then they start spamming again. And then another person comes in and starts spamming. And then another person comes in and starts spamming. And then there's usually three or four people at least that keep spamming. And no matter what you do as an administrator, you cannot get them out. Uh, they keep being able to join for some reason. And then people start leaving because it's annoying. Even Because even if you um, block this person yourself, you will still see that a message is being hidden um, from uh, from you. So you will still see these, this person has been blocked, this person has been blocked, filling up your screen over and over again. So the rooms kind of die from that. Has your account ever been crashed? Does your app crash sometimes or hang or you just can't type anything anymore? Mm, my app di didn't crash, but I know that a lot of people's apps did. Um, I think I was just generally using a, a good phone. Um, uh, people on iPhones usually had their apps crash. What a weird battle this is. In my clan right now, we have literally thousands of chats hundreds of accounts that need to be taken down and there's only 20 of us we can only do so much and i it's gotten to the point where i literally have nightmares about a child being victimized because i didn't take out that chat or that account I thought it was ridiculous to talk about chat rating clans at first. And I guess I still think it's ridiculous. Like, what does this even matter, right? But now it looks like Ezreal is a vigilante of some kind. He uses his rating skills for good. He cares about combating child porn so much that he feels like it's his duty to do something. He can't just stop when he knows it's constantly going on and no one is stepping up to fix this problem. Now, Azrael's clan has, of course, reported numerous people and chat rooms to Kick. They say, for the most part, Kick does not take action. If they do take action, it's typically months later, and then they might see a ban or a closed channel. So they're doing their part by telling Kick about this problem. Recently, I tried uh, to 
So I'll grab somebody's ISP information, run that through some tools to get as much information as I possibly can. And then I will drop that to the Federal Bureau of of Investigations uh, Cybercrime Division, which is absolutely scary to me because cyber crimes mm-hmm. i uh i'm firmly gray hat so i could get myself in trouble yeah i mean what he's doing is phishing people and doxing them and he's using a hacked kick client that goes against the terms of use on kick 2 i bet if kick knew about the clan or azrael they would immediately ban them from the app because they're breaking the terms of use, which is just ridiculous. Yes, the power they have can be used for something awful, but they're using these powers to fight something much more awful on kick. At a, at a point, I kind of realized what I was doing and how bad it was. And I, well, really, I freaked out. And I didn't sleep for like two whole days. And in my sleep-deprived state, I uh, sent an email to you. Um, which probably looked kind of panicked in a way. Um, and it was, and I was, uh, and I needed a voice of reason. Someone I trusted who knew sort of the, in, uh, the inside of how st- different, different IT security things work and who knew the potential of me having the context I did, but also uh the danger of having the items and i and i was being and i've been got told by you that i should delete them yeah Uh, i said why don't you just delete everything uninstall the app and stop yeah and in my power state in in the state of like having that much power it was tough it was very very hard to do because it felt wrong I had worked very, very hard to get more than 8,000 items, items that I had cataloged in my head, so I knew them by heart. I knew so many things that I had all in all, all these things, and people looked up to me. And I was being told to delete them, to throw away all this power. And it took me three more days and I talked to a friend of mine whom I really, really trust about it as well. And uh, I ended up deleting it. I deleted everything I had. You think someone should just go shut this thing down like they did with Parler? I want Kick to shut down. But I also want the, want the police to actually utilize what is right in front of them. Kick is such an easy place to get to spot and catch predators, but they aren't being caught in there. Things are running rampant, and if and they could they could use this tool at their disposal, but they're not. So while I want it closed, I also want it to be exploited by the police, so to speak. So you might be wondering, maybe this is some sort of honeypot set up by the police. Well, that's actually happened a few times. There's a Forbes article about a guy who was arrested for trading child porn on Kick. The police commandeered his phone and got access to his Kick account, but they didn't delete it or shut it down. They made a deal with this child porn trader to keep trading on Kick so they could collect information on other Kick pedophiles. The guy made the deal and stayed on Kick trading child porn while the FBI watched over his shoulder. 
It's weird and creepy as hell that this happened because this Forbes article says it's not clear if the FBI actually caught anyone else from this operation. And what's more is that Forbes asked Kick about this operation, and Kick had no idea there was an undercover operation going on in their chat app. So this tells me Kick wasn't working with the FBI on this one. So all this is to say that, yeah, while the police may be using the app to do some sort of sting operations, I don't think there's any major coordination between Kick and the FBI to conduct lots of sting operations or anything. And if this is some sort of honeypot, it's permitting quite a lot of vile stuff, which makes me wonder if it's doing more harm than good. I absolutely do believe that Kick should be held to the same standards as every other social media platform, including Parler. If they're refusing to moderate and refusing to remove illegal content, then they don't have a place among the app store if that's the way that they want to do business. Um, I have really mixed emotions about that. This is my hacker origin story. I came from Kick. Everything I know came from Kick. And to have it shut down would hurt me. But after everything I've seen and everything I've, I've experienced, I'm scared that there's really no other way. And I also strongly dislike the idea of the powers that be just flipping a switch. You know what I mean? Well, no, I don't. Why? Why would that be a bad thing? I think it would shut down this whole system and that'd be great. It, it would. But then that's a scary line to cross, you know, like with Parler. I never got on Parler, so I can't exactly say they didn't deserve it. But I don't think anybody deserves it. You know what I mean? Nobody should be able to just flip a switch and just end things. But in terms of kick, I think... That might be the only way. Thank you, Azriel and Doc, for sharing your very personal stories with us. Also, thank you to Caitlin Bowden and JP Rigaud for lending your voice and being part of this too. If you ever encounter child porn yourself, please report it to the Cyber Tip Line, which you can find at cybertipline.org. If you're a listener all caught up and can't wait for more episodes, then you must find this show valuable. So please consider donating to the show on Patreon. This will tell me loud and clear that you love it and want more of it, and it'll give me the means to keep it going. So please head over to patreon.com slash darknetdiaries and show your support. Thanks. The show is made by me, the leader of the operators, Jack Resider. Research and fact-checking by the disciple, Sean Summers. Editing help this episode by the pack leader, Damien. And our theme music is by the Rust Devil, Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though the NSA is one of the few government organizations that actually listens to you, this is Darknet Diaries. Oh, and one last thing before you go. If you want to get involved with helping combat this problem, check out the ILF. Here's my friend Chris to tell you about it. Hello, 
My name is Chris Hanagi, and I am the founder and CEO of the Innocent Lives Foundation. The ILF is made up of security professionals whose mission is to identify anonymous child predators and help bring them to justice. We have volunteers who are masters in everything from open source intelligence to exploit writing who donate their time to identify child predators and hand cases over to law enforcement. With our non-vigilante stance, we do everything in our power to create airtight cases for law enforcement. You can join this fight. When you donate to the ILF, you directly fund this powerful mission. To learn more about the ILF and to donate, please visit our website at innocentlivesfoundation.org. Thank you.